Hello and welcome to another wonderful, extra special, extra curricular episode of Normandy FM Dragon Age 2 edition. Kenneth, it's just us this week. It's just me, Eric Van Allen, and Kenneth Shepard co-hosting as always, keeping it held down here at the fort, the Kirkwall fort, as we work through Dragon Age 2 and Ken, mm-hmm. why, don't, why don't we just start this with what you asked me? Because for the listeners at home, when we, when we jumped on the call, when we first started talking, we always have a little bit of a preamble that we kind of just talk through as as we, uh, you know, we, we catch up on each other's lives. And, and I believe I said something that was the effect of like, uh, I've got a lot to say this episode. And, and mm-hmm. then you asked me something. So let's let's reenact this for the listeners at home. Uh, Ken, I've got a lot to say this episode. So just to make sure that we're like on the same page, or like just you know, assess if we are. Um, does it seem that the game got kind of bad to you at this point? Yeah, yeah, it did. Yeah, 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 it okay. did. It did yep. <laughs> um, All right, just making sure. Oh boy. Um, and and bad is a very, I don't know if it's the right word I want to use, but it feels like it. It, I, I'm, I'm having a lot of trouble coming up with a better word for it right now. I'm starting, I feel like, throughout the first two-thirds of this game, I was going through it and being like, how did we ever think that this game was a bad game? This has been a joy to play. This has been incredible. I can't believe I used to think a certain way about Dragon Age 2. My, I've completely 180'd. Now that I've reached Act 3, I am starting to see, again, what I remember from so long Mm. ago. Um, We will get into that. First thing I want to do is I want to shout out real quick. Uh, We've been posting on social media and all that, but for those of you who are just subscribers or listeners or or whatever, uh, we had a listener ping us about whether we'd be open to the idea of doing a Q&A episode, like a special question and answer episode where we answer whatever questions within the loose realm of reason. Um, if you ask me for my social security number, I'm not giving it to you. But um, we, we, I think we both felt that that was a cool way of maybe giving back a little bit. You know, we've the the patreon is definitely taken off and we love the support that y'all give and so if this is something that's of interest uh we'd be happy to do it so uh if you reach out to normdfm at gmail.com uh you can hit up our inbox or you can also i believe i think our dms are open and if they're not you can just reply to that tweet on twitter as well uh with any questions you have and ken and i will record a special episode at a to be determined date we'll probably give this uh another week or so so that way people can get their questions in and uh i'm I'm not gonna say we're gonna limit the questions at all but like don't don't send like 10 you know Mm. keep it easy if you want to send like if if you're sitting there and you're struggling you got like two or three uh that that are really like pressing on your mind you can't pick just one that you want to send in you know fudge it a little bit do that but also i want to stress uh just from the the responses we've seen so far the questions we've seen so far obviously yes this is a bioware podcast uh we ostensibly are here to talk about bioware games specifically mass effect and dragon age and eventually down the line jade empire and further on if you support us on patreon to get to those goals patreon.com slash normdfm uh 
All that said, questions don't have to be limited to Bioware. They can be anything. Uh, you want to ask us about video games in general. You want to ask us about food. You want to ask us about <laughs> entertainment. Like, you know, what shows do we like? What movies? What music? We, Ken and I contain multitudes. So um, <laughs> any of those questions that you want to ask, go ahead and throw them out as well. Uh, again, we are reserving the right to not answer certain questions that would either be overtly personal or uncomfortable or just ones that we feel are not ones that we want to answer. But as long as it's kept within certain realms of, you know, <laughs> of, of let's say like how much you should ask about a person, it's all good. Um, <laughs> If you want, Just if you want to reason. ask me what my favorite birthday party was, that, let's let's have that be the line. <laughs> and, um, what was your the favorite most, birthday party? My favorite birthday party um, was not my own, actually. Oh wow! I mean, I had a lot of good birthday parties the when I was a kid. Turn. Um, most of the time, it would just be my dad would rent. My my dad works for a communications company, a telecommunications company. That is as personal as I'm getting with that. Um, but he would get a projector from the lab for my 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 brother's birthdays, uh, mm. and he would hook it up, and we'd hook our game systems up to it. And I, I remember there was like one year where we played Smash Brothers on it, another year where we had all turned thirteen, so we all got to watch Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and it was so cool because <laughs> it was like a violent movie that we got to watch on the screen and all that. Um, and there was uh. There was even one year, it was the year the PS2 was going to come out, or had just come out, we rented a PS2 to play on the projector, and I've told this story a few times before on various podcasts and stuff, but we got Final Fantasy X because I had been reading a Game Informer that had it on the cover, and I was like, oh, this looks so cool. I'd, I'd played maybe like five minutes of Final Fantasy VIII beforehand, I was not like a Final Fantasy diehard, but this game looked really cool. So, in fact, I think I kept calling it Final Fantasy X, much mm-hmm. to the chagrin of the dude at the video store that we rented this from. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Love to be uh, angry at a child. Yeah, I want to play Final Fantasy X. Oh, that's actually ten. No, it's an X. It's I know how to read. I know how to read alphabet. <laughs> um, but uh, we rented it. But when you rent a station, it doesn't come with a memory card. So. Mm. Every time that we tried to keep the PS2 on, but it would get shut off or unplugged or whatever. I played through the intro of Final Fantasy X so many times. Uh, like, that that opening section from literally starting the game, I think the furthest we ever got was the part where you're going up the steps after the forest, and you're fighting one of the Sin Spawn that has the tentacles at that little like platform landing in front of the the temple where you get ifrit um huh, so you would have had to have never got a was... game over then oh no 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 and, and i mean yeah we we just kept going um yeah so hmm. um no my favorite birthday party from when i was a kid was one of my friend's birthday parties where his parents rented out a box at a baseball game uh so this was for like a local um not even a minor league team like it was a very like it was basically a farm league team uh but they were you know it was it was a thing that was close and nearby so i used to go to baseball games all the time there in fact uh when baseball starts up again down here i'd like to go but 
you know, whenever that happens. <laughs> um, <laughs> but his he was he's a huge baseball fan. I think he still is. Uh, his parents rented out a box, and when you rent a box at a place like this, you know it comes with catering, so we had all the hot dogs and stuff that we could want to eat, and we get to sit in the nice box, which has these little special seats in little elevated places where you can see the baseball game really well. But the other thing that it had was a TV in the suite, and we only had the parents as our only adult supervision during this time. So I believe the dad was out watching the baseball game on the little porch area along with the the kid whose birthday party it was and like one or two others the rest of us were in there flipping around on the tv channels i think the mom had gone to go uh get like a one of those like icy things out on the the um mm. the concourse and so uh we're flipping through the tv channels and we get to fear factor supermodels <laughs> And it's mm. literally Fear Factor with supermodels. So it's literally like all the things that they do in Fear Factor where, you know, they're like sitting in beds full of bugs and, and eating gross stuff and all that. But it's these like Sports Illustrated swimsuit models. And all of us were like, God, we must have been nine or ten at the time. We're all a bunch of like nine mm. and ten year old boys. We're just like, oh, my God, <laughs> this is the greatest thing we've ever seen. <laughs> And the mom comes in, and we're all scrambling to find the remote, because we're like, change it, change it, change it. Jesus Christ. <laughs> and I don't know why, but that memory has just stuck with me forever. That, uh, And then, the, of course, they were out on the porch, and so they come back in, they were like, what were you kids doing in here? And the poor kid whose birthday it was, he was like, oh, baseball's so fun. And meanwhile, we're all in the back like, Fear Factor supermodels. <laughs> it was... It was great. Um, anyways, <laughs> after that long tangent, um, that's all the wonderful things that you can look forward to and, and ask us about for our Q&A episode. Again, we haven't set a date for it. Maybe it can be the in-between for Dragon Age 2 and Inquisition or something like that, mm -hmm. but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll figure that out as we figure out all the, uh, you know, all the scheduling and stuff as well. Um, Ken, let's talk about Dragon Age 2. Let's do it. Oh, Lord. Okay, so we've done Legacy, and we have finished Act 2, so we are right into it with Act 3. And, I mean, the game literally just throws you into it in Act 3. Uh, we, Hawk, we are now the champion of Kirkwall, having saved the city from the Canari threat, um, either by killing the Aeroshock or killing the Aeroshock and a bunch of his guards, or by just handing Isabella to the Aeroshock, uh, which obviously neither of us did. But uh, we, we open Act 3, and, you know, Varric kind of sets it up. This is another three-year time skip that happens here, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, right, because it's six years six years total or seven years total, I guess, if you add the... Seven. The, yeah, if you add that first year where they were working for the mercenary company. Um so we're now seven years deep into Kirkwall. Uh, we are we have status at this point. Uh, the Viscount obviously was killed during the end of Act Two, and no one has really assumed power in Kirkwall in the meantime, not in an official way at least. Um, mm. uh, there is no actual Viscount. There is, however, Meredith, 
who has kind of let's say assumed military power in Kirkwall uh, with the Templars. And so the Templars have become even more of an additional police force to enact their control. Uh, and then we, we, we open on an argument between first enchanter Orsino and Knight commander Meredith on the steps of uh, I believe it's on the steps of the Chantry. Or maybe it was the steps of the gallows. Um, no, I think it was. No, it was in Hightown. It was in Hightown. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it was right next to Hawks Estate. Uh, mm-hmm. I remember because I like ran over there right after it to do Legacy. So, um, so it was the 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 Chantry or somewhere in Hightown. Uh, they are arguing because Orsino is basically like we have no Viscount. Meredith is making no. Uh, allusions to the fact that she doesn't want to install a new Viscount. She wants to be the new Viscount. She wants to rule Kirkwall. And we're basically in the middle of a three-year-long coup that we're all just kind of letting happen. And Meredith is, of course, like, this is all insane ramblings, and I should make you tranquil for this and go back to your homes. There's nothing to see here and all that. Uh, And then, of course, the, the... I keep wanting to call her the divine. It's not the divine. It's no. the, um, it's mother. Grand cleric. Grand cleric. Thank you. God. You go. mm-hmm. I was like, grand cleric does not sound as high up as mother in my mind. Like when we're talking about like a religious institution. So I was mm-hmm. like, but it's mother is below grand cleric. Cause that's what mother Patrice was. Mm-hmm. So, um, the grand cleric kind of steps in and, <sighs> really both sides the hell out of this thing Mm -hmm. (laughs) like you can have another conversation that's very similar to the one that you have with her in act two where she's basically like you know sometimes we need to just let the the kids fight and then sort it out afterwards and all that and i'm like yeah but one of the kids is imprisoning the other kid and turning those kids into tranquil and forcing those kids into situations that make them lash out in dangerous ways maybe you could take a more direct approach to that and she's like don't worry about it everyone just go and sit in your think about you know 10 seconds 10 second time out everyone <laughs> and i'm like that's not what this is <laughs> mm. um and so the first thing i want to raise here before we get into the quest that we do because after we do this we we you know we get a little bit of a scene where we can kind of I guess stake out what Hawk's initial feelings are, and this plays mm-hmm. into like a little meta game that's happening throughout this act, where we're kind of accruing points for who we side with um, when it comes to the end of the act, whether we side with Orsino or with Meredith, or, or I guess more bluntly, whether we side with mages or Templars. Um, and we can kind of stake a claim here, or we can still play neutral and be like the Grand Cleric, but... Like a coward. Yeah, like a coward. Um, and then after that, we go to our abode, and we get a letter, and it, it sends us off on our first quest, and we kind of get back into that Dragon Age rhythm. But the thing that struck me the most about this first act was we've got this showdown between these two characters. I'm suddenly realizing how little we've seen them in the game up to this point. Mm-hmm. Um, we met both of them in the final quest of Act 2. And 
this is going to be a running thing for me, but this conflict feels unfinished in the sense that they figured out what the end result of this game was going to be, Mm -hmm. but they didn't incorporate all the parts that were supposed to lead up to it. And this is kind of where I think we get into a larger Dragon Age problem that I know you have spoken to, which is that the second they start to really expand that scope out, they lose the stuff that's happening down underneath. And so Mm -hmm. for two acts, we've had this really good bubbling up of different, like differences between the mages and the Templar and the conflicts that are happening. And, you know, granted, granted the Canary thing kind of came in and had to overshadow a lot of that in act two, but for a long time, we've had these issues sort of simmering and bubbling, but once they finally come up to the surface, the fact that these two characters play such a central role and it's basically the game is going like, hey, guess what? We're finally doing this part now. We're getting to this thing now. Mm-hmm. It not only makes it feel like it's sort of this checklist thing, like, well, we got, we took care of the Canari thing. Now let's do the Templar and the Mage thing, yeah. uh, which is actually an issue I have with Dragon Age Inquisition as well, but we'll get there when we get there. <laughs> but um, it's also like, I just realize that it jumps to a scale so fast that mm. you're going from these kind of minor grievances and interactions to, okay, now it's like citywide and we're dealing with the, the biggest players. And they, they build up how big Meredith is and Orsino to a much lesser extent. Like, that's the other thing is I feel like there's a really big imbalance between the way that Orsino is represented mm-hmm. throughout the game versus the way that Meredith is. But yeah, um, yeah it's I, I, I'm just missing that mm-hmm. that feeling of like, oh finally we're seeing these two clash and since like who are they? <laughs> like, right. I don't, why do it's, I care about either of these people? It's a weird thing because like the, the whole act has a sort of like energy of like a train that is putting the tracks down as it is moving forward because yeah. Yeah. like like you said, we're meeting these huge players like at the tail end of Act Two, and then Act Three, in general, it's like a very very short act. Like, I mean, we're gonna have all the companion uh, quest episodes after this, but if we felt so compelled to do so, after we do the quest we're gonna do in this episode, we can go to the end of the game like at any point, because mm-hmm. like there are three main quests in this whole act, and it's, it's like, what is ostensibly supposed to be like the big conflict of Dragon Age 2 really is like this weird bookend of something that they don't really build up to that well at least not in terms of like the, the key players of it because you know we've, we've dealt with mages and templars throughout the whole game but like they've kind of been like kind of a backdrop for a lot of stuff like like you said we, we don't meet Meredith or Sino despite them being these sort of things that we hear whispers about for the majority of the game and then suddenly they're here at the forefront, and then, in retrospect, I don't feel like Inquisition, even where, you know, where this plotline gets to wrap up, even gives it much of its due either, because it is basically ends up being one questline of that game. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of wild to think about, because the Mage-Templar conflict is what people generally talk about when it comes to Dragon Age 2, despite the fact that I think, in terms of the thing that they flesh out the most that feels like the most earned, the Canari revolt feels like it should be that moment. But I guess it's just kind of like a an example of like what happens at the end is the thing that people talk about the most, just because 
that is generally where you're supposed to assume like the takeaways of everything that's happened is supposed to be like but thinking about it now like because Dragon Age 2 has this three act structure that is not like not the typical Bioware three act structure where like it's all building upon itself it feels like three very distinct separate stories that just kind of like have some hanging threads that go from one to the other and mm-hmm. I feel like it is that that becomes so and I, that's was my issue with it when I was saying like do you feel like the game has suddenly gotten bad because like, I feel like this is the one that ostensibly should have the highest ramifications for the Dragon Age universe but in general like it feels like it's so desperately trying to throw throw it like toss it aside to get to what is next that I don't know like it's I don't think it does right by anybody, and I don't think it's going to get any better by the time we get to the end of this game. So, the the thing that I, I guess we can finally start talking about, because I kept alluding to it, and we'll talk more about it in Anders' episode, like, a lot in Anders' episode and at the end of the season, but um, the thing that I kind of wish was touched on more here in Lesson Act 2 was Hawk's role in all this, because in Act mm. 2, like, you start to get these conversations with Aveline, where Aveline is like, hey, maybe you should be playing more of a role in what's going on in Kirkwall. Maybe you should be, mm-hmm. like, playing a more significant part because now you're part of the nobility. And at that point, I was kind of like, look, I got my money. Like, that's what's that's what this is about. Like, I got here and I got my money, and that's what we're doing right now is I'm living with my money. <laughs> but it's... <laughs> um, now that Hawk is the champion... And, and Hawk is this character who is like, I, you know, I solved the issues that we had with, um, with the Canari and all that. And I took action and I shaped Kirkwall's future by my own hand. This is where I'm more like, hey, you know, maybe, and, and, and to be fair, like, you do feel that sense that the things you are doing have ramifications to them. And they make a lot of references throughout this that, like, oh, it's the champion, and everyone knows the champion and all that, but it almost feels more like you just kind of end up getting used. And so mm-hmm. that's yeah. the thing I mm-hmm. wanted to touch on is that I I still feel like the story is the difference. It tells it tells kind of a like a dual story of you have two characters who come to Kirkwall from Ferelden who end up trying to... They see a system that's broken... And they try to enact change. And one of them does so uh, in the ways that they can because of the structures they are afforded. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, Hawk happens to hail from a family of wealth, is able to recover that wealth, and then becomes ingrained in the system and ends up really, for most of this act, just being used by the system to various mm-hmm. ends. And I think it's kind of funny that, again, we'll. We'll talk more in depth about this when we get to the, the part in, in the actual final episode, but Hawk doesn't really get to choose the outcomes here very often. Yep. Like, things are just kind of happening, and Hawk is just kind of constantly being like, oh, I'm just being used. Like, I'm just being right. sent off to do things, and then things are happening around me. I'm just a pawn right now. 
Mm. It's almost like this startling realization that you have become part of the system that perpetuates what's been going on. Whereas a character like Anders, who wants to affect change instead of ingraining himself into the system, has been pulling himself out of it, has been removing himself further and further from society, ends up taking drastic measures to enact that change. And so I, I think... There's something interesting in that mm-hmm. difference between those characters. Yeah. And I think it there's an interesting like kind of friction to it that is similar but not exactly the same as like the Mass Effect 3 ending where like you can only do so much. Mm-hmm. Like there is no real perfect solution and like you have been put in a position where like you can maybe push things in a certain direction, but it's like one of two very close directions that like it's more like what are you like you're kind of choosing where like where most to like sector off collateral damage and i get i think i get the sense of frustration that a lot of people probably have more towards the end of this game than i do with mass effect 3 um because it feels like it is kind of happening in real time and like the ways that multiple quest lines and multiple character arcs kind of seem to ignore the fact that you are even there I understand why that can be frustrating, but I think it does in the end, at least that particular point, like, we did, we talked about it before, like, who is the real main character of Dragon Age 2, and I think the game kind of, like, overtly says who it was at the end, and I don't know if everyone's gonna be happy with that particular answer, but... So, here's another thing I was thinking about, and, and this is why when we initially talked about it, I definitely agree that this this part of the game did feel bad, but... It also felt good, and the ways in which it felt good are maybe more informed by the fact that, Ken, you and I have both played a video game called Greedfall, mm-hmm. and we have experienced the experience of Greedfall. <laughs> um, and I was thinking about it again today, because as I was going on my walk, uh, one of the podcasts I like to listen to when I walk around, you know, getting my cardio in for the day is uh the waypoint radio podcast and by chance the episode that i was catching up on from like last week was uh austin walker and rob zagney uh i wouldn't call them friends of the show but good folks who i have written for before and they are good people um they both talked about how they recently tried getting back into greedfall as a way to like sate a certain need for a certain kind of RPG right now. And I feel like mm. that's something you and I have felt before too, mm. which is like when you're so starved for a certain flavor of RPG that you'll just kind of, sure, I'll play Greedfall. <laughs> but they got to talking about it. And one of the points that Rob brought up that made me think a lot about Dragon Age 2 today was... In Greedfall, you have these situations where you as... And I know this is really informative for everyone out there who has not played Greedfall, but the long and short of it is that you are kind of the leader of this merchant guild that has traveled to a new land to find a cure for a disease that... Like a bubonic plague-style disease that is running throughout Europe while also trying to like manage relations between various nations and militaries and merchants and the natives of the island, which is where most of the oof comes from. Mm. <laughs> but, uh, 
there is like a very early quest in that game where you arrive on the island and one of the commanders is basically like um it's like oh the the natives are killing our convoys and you gotta get out there and take care of them he uses the word savages when he talks about Mm -hmm. them which obviously if you like are aware of how bad that sort of language is (laughs) you you just made an audible oof um and so rob pointed out that in that situation your character is just like cool got it that's my quest and that's it that's the conversation there's not even like room to push back and and that's kind of the dragon age 2 thing that we're dealing with here is that we end up in these situations and this is a good way for us to segue into on the loose which is the first main quest that we're going to do here we have to go and talk to the night commander who has requested our presence and meredith you know kind of introduces herself a little bit more formally than we got uh during act two's finale and then says hey there's there was a recent accident uh some phylacteries were destroyed and some mages escaped uh we've tracked down most of them most of them just went to their families to be with their families and came back peacefully which to me let's put a pin in that because that was something where i was like hold on don't just breeze over that (laughs) but um when we when we got back around to it she's she's like okay there are three dangerous apostates huon evelina and emil who i need back we cannot find them i want them dead or alive and at this point like you can push back on meredith and you can be like i won't be used i'm not i'm not a friend of yours i'm not here to do your dirty work i mean throughout this entire conversation with meredith i was being like uh there's like a snarky response that you can give where she's like i need you to find these apostates and hawk can be like oh that's strange i didn't know that all the templars suddenly disappeared (laughs) (laughs) and like uh you can straight up be like i won't be used and depending on uh whether you are a mage or if you are a mage she will directly threaten you mm-hmm. for being an apostate yep. and otherwise she will reference bethany and be like bethany's an exemplary mage i'm simply bringing her up because she's an example of a wonderful mage and mm-hmm. i want to show to you that i can like mages and i don't think they're all bad but also you know i know where your sister sleeps um and yeah and and so that's like that is the difference here and kind of what i'm wrestling with in this act is that i fully 100 percent agree that this is completely rushed that we do not have these players established at this point that i'm having trouble really carry like i don't think i've had more than two exchanges with first first enchanter orsino at this point and i could Mm -hmm. go into the end game right now and he's supposed to be a major character he's supposed to be a major player in this game and Mm -hmm. i've barely interacted with him much less meredith and meredith is like arguably one of the most important characters that isn't in your party in this game and you Mm -hmm. barely have talked to her up to this point and anyways um (laughs) but that's that's kind of the difference is that i feel the frustration but also part of the frustration i'm feeling feels like it's intended where hawk Mm. is in this system now and hawk can complain and hawk can say no i won't be used and then hawk is going to get reminded that they will be used because guess what you're part of this now like you 
don't mm-hmm. have a choice anymore. That the the time for choices was a while ago. Welcome to the act of consequences. <laughs> and that's really what this act is is there are things that happen in this act depending on how you have friendshiped or rivalried certain characters and there are things that will happen that depend on the choices you've made in previous acts and there might be one or two times where hawk gets to make a call and it has immediate results but most of this act is the act of consequences and and not of decisions that you get to make and have lasting effects and that feels bad in some ways but also that feels kind of interesting to me as a player because now i have this game system telling me like no guess what you're hawk like this is where hawk is hawk cannot just go around doing whatever now hawk has commitments hawk has responsibilities hawk is the champion of kirkwall so you're not around you're not allowed to just like fuck around and do whatever you want you actually do kind of have to take some responsibility and be of service to the people now so Mm. um how did you feel about where we're at with this meredith thing right now i like what you're saying like i i do like when choice-based games kind of skew like the uh sort of like power fantasy that a lot of games do and that is you know a lot of the things that i like about mass effect it's like there's like despite the fact that a lot of people will tell you that there are maybe like there's like a quote-unquote perfect ending for a lot of things i like there isn't and you kind of have to wrestle inside with what it is that you think is worth sacrificing or worth protecting and i like sort of like the framing you have of it there but a lot of the the writing of this doesn't it it feels like you know that's kind of like a coping mechanism and i don't mean to i'm like i'm not at all like no i'm the way you're i'm reading into this i fully understand that i'm reading into this (laughs) because i think a lot of the things that maybe less of Maybe my issue is less with, like, feeling that Hawk is sort of, like, duty-bound into all these different systems. It is more just, like, each of these these two quests that we're going to do, they're going to end the same way regardless. And, like, there's not... It, it almost feels like a guided tour of, like, the ways that Bioware wants you to feel about all these things. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, they do paint both... Again, it's, it's a very both-side story. Like, a lot of both sides of them happening here. So, like... I, all the things that you're saying, like, I think they're a very interesting sort of uh, reading on it, but like, I wish that they went that extra mile to, like, have something that felt like it was really trying to trap you in, you know, in these systems rather than just being, like, we have a very specific, like, the very specific beats we need to hit, and we need to guide the player through them as fast as possible. Yeah, so on on that note, let me say this. I had three takeaways from my playtime for this specific episode. We've already gone over two of them. One, that the main characters that center this conflict do not feel established, and thus I have trouble not buying into the conflict, but buying into the framing that it's being given. Mm -hmm. Um, Two is what I just went over, that this is an act of consequences, this is not an act of decisions, and so it's going to feel very frustrating to the player because hawk is in a frustrating position and and hawk has kind of made their own bet at this point you know they have ingrained themselves into a system and now they're reaping what they have sown to point three this act makes me feel how fast this game game came together like i really Mm. feel 
how fast all of this came together after Dragon Age Origins. Yeah. Because this act and really the, the pieces that build it up feel less robust, less mm-hmm. f- less fleshed out than the Canari conflict, than the Deep Roads expedition. Yeah. And even things like, you know, the ultimate death of Leandra and all that feel more fleshed out and and we had our issues with that but this really does feel like we just had this big climactic finale where we have defeated the Aeroshock and we are the champion of Kirkwall and then they decide to do one more conflict right at the end and it, it 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 doesn't have time to breathe it doesn't have time to establish can you imagine if this act was twice as long in main quests and we had a sort of situation almost like Orzammar in Origins where we're deciding which side we're going with and we're going down various quest lines and we're kind of learning about either side and then we're building up rapport with whoever we side with and then it can still culminate in what it culminates in and you could even still have it there where you could go one way and then choose the other but... I think there's just there's context missing here and the companion mm. quests tried to fill that out a little bit you know specific quests like Anders uh, really do try to give you a little bit more than what's been going on here and there's kind of some various ways that this all plays out but uh, it just doesn't like it's it's hard for me to imagine that the writers who got up to the end of act two then got to the end of Act 3, and we're like, we did everything we wanted to do here. Right. And, I mean, that's one of the brutal parts of game development, is that sure. you're you're never always going to be able to do everything you want. But yeah. the, the Mage-Templar conflict, in particular, just feels like we're just running headfirst into it with all this steam when there should be, like, a breathing moment. The way that you have after the end of Act 1. Like, after the end of Act 1 you kind of just go do some hawk stuff and mm-hmm. you you know gradually that builds up into a thing that then eventually becomes okay we're solving the canary thing now i guess but that builds up over time and here we've got an entire act three of just we are resolving everything everything's got to be firing at, at a, a 10 when they're not reeling it back in i almost had the same thing with mass effect 3 where i felt like that is a game of we have to like be blaring horns at all times there cannot be a single moment of rest everything because it is the culmination it's the conclusion of all these threads so everything has to be oh garris has to have this great send-off and tally has to have this great send-off and rex has to have this great send-off wherein i think the more interesting thing about all that is what people remember from that is citadel where it's not this big grand send-off for these characters where we solve these big conflicts and everything citadel is so well remembered because it's just this quiet thing you know it's just you hanging out with your party and i I feel like the Mm -hmm. parts in this act that stick out to me the most are those moments like when we go to follow up on emile de lancey um you know, at first, 
we try to go to his family because as we learn from by the way meredith has has a tranquil assistant and i feel like that's just really on the nose like just mm. really really on the nose <laughs> i don't know if i need to say more than that um but as we learn from meredith's tranquil assistant um we learn we get the backstory of all these characters and we first we go to talk to emile de lance who is this son of a well-to-do family and after the most like comedic situation with his parents where the mom's obviously trying to cover for a meal and then the dad walks in and is like i can't believe you gave money to that freeloader there he's off there <laughs> drinking it all away and she's like not in front of the people <laughs> and, and then hawk can just be like oh no keep talking like yeah. <laughs> this is great um which is just god it's it, this was this is a good bit of levity in a very otherwise mm. heavy uh quest and uh we then go to the hanged man to find emil and we find out that emil has escaped from the circle not because he wants to set himself free not because he wants to rebel or kill templars or anything like that dude just wants to get laid like dude just he's he's literally like i've never kissed a girl i've lived in a circle my whole life which at this point anders can make a funny comment where he's like wait you don't kiss each other in the circle here <laughs> like ferelden circle was lit my dude <laughs> like he, i think his line is literally like everyone was kissing everyone yeah. <laughs> like, um and so it, it, there's a really funny dialogue that you can have here too with isabella and Aveline where isabella can be like oh wow he's helpless just like you with donic remember that aveline with donic <laughs> how bad you were donic and aveline's just like yes i remember <laughs> um but like these parts are are the things that are making me smile and making me take notes and making me go like oh yeah i love this because man this is bioware does this stuff well and they do it in a way that not many other rpg developers do and I wanted more of this basically like the more of this that I can get in this game the better mm. um, and granted a lot of it has to do with having very specific combinations of characters in your party when you go to do things and in some ways I enjoy that that it's like okay well they're respecting the fact that you brought Aveline and Isabella who have this relationship that you would have known about by now uh, and you took them to the Hanged Man, which is obviously one of Isabella's haunts. So that's probably going to have some special dialogue from her, maybe from Varric and stuff like that. Like, you could kind of think this all out and do all this. But um, otherwise, like, you end up in these situations where you don't have those those, those things. And mm. I think I'm maybe re-examining a lot of my old playtime of Dragon Age 2 the first time through and being like maybe i just didn't warm to these characters as much beforehand because i did not have like i wasn't paying attention to what characters i should bring where not right. for like a gameplay reason but for like a party composition reason like who who i want around me at, at this yeah. point so so what did you end up doing what's up what did you end up doing with the meal oh i let him i let him have his night i was like dude you gotta turn yourself in and that was mostly like i wasn't for all these mages, I did not want them to go back to the circle, but with him specifically, I got the sense that he wanted to stay in the circle. He just also kind of wanted to, like, you know, get it done. And mm -hmm. so 
I was like, okay, dude, like, go have your night of passion and then go back to the circle and stop telling people you're a blood mage because that's a bad idea. You should know what happens there and whatever. Um, mm. What did you do? I I gave him money to leave. Like, I was just like... Maybe that... Maybe I was radicalized at this point. I was like, you have the opportunity to get out and you're, like, relatively unassuming looking. Just go. Like... Come on, dude. Like, I don't know, like, wh- like, if this is what you want, why are you doing it within the proximity of the, the circle that is looking for you? So, like, he, <laughs> like, he's like, oh, there's a boat that's leaving tonight. I was like, all right, well, on delay. Get on. Yeah, I, uh, so, maybe we need to have a discussion about this before we get further into these quests. Ken, what are mm-hmm. your thoughts on the circle? Do you think that the circle is a good organization? No. Okay. What do you think about... Do you think the circle can be fixed? As it is in this game in particular? No. Okay. I'm kind of in between right now. And Mm. by the end... Okay. Where I'm at in this quest, I am in between. I am somewhere where I'm like... The circle can be a good thing for mages who are either unable to control their powers or just want that structure in their life you know they want to be able to just go and stay somewhere with other mages where they can study their craft but you know maybe there are mages that are just genuinely scared of their own powers i mean we've dealt with that in dragon age 2 already fainreal was like a good example of that maybe the circle can be good for them that being said we have so many examples of templars that overstep their bounds that it's difficult to think of a circle that Mm. exists with the templars as they exist now right so at this point and this is going to be very funny when we get to the second quest here my thoughts were my hawk wants to dismantle the current situation surrounding the templars and the mages and build a new circle that is wholly optional that is not a forced circle but for the mages who want to take advantage of it and who want that level of security they can be free to participate in the circle, but there would have to mm. be rule changes to it. Mm. Um, all that I'm, being said, that starts to come crashing down pretty quick. But. Well, that's right. I like in in a perfect world for me, if the circle were to continue to exist, it would be completely like self regulated by the mages, and like the templars are like not even a factor. So that's kind of where I'm sitting at this point. So would yours? Would your ideal be closer than to Deventer? Mm. Barring some of the problematic <laughs> parts of Deventer. Right. Yeah, like, I, I think just like a, a space where they're not policed the way they are. I think it's because, like, I mean, that's half of the problem anyway, right? Like, mm-hmm. the reason that, like, the reason all these blood mages and all these quests that we're about to do are, like, get to the point they are is because they are on the run and then they think they have nowhere else to turn to. Whereas if you have something that is, you know, self-regulated, these people that are, like, you know, well-learned in the arts of magic and understanding of, like, the dangers and how to maybe cope with that in ways that don't, don't immediately result in somebody being murdered or, or made tranquil. Like, are people that are, like, sympathetic to the cause. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the story of the Templar is really the story of 
the fear that people have of something that they can't control and wanting mm. to exert some level of control over it. I mean, Templars are doing terrible things to themselves to continue to exert that control over the mages. I mean, they're literally ingesting lyrium that they know will cause them addiction and they're turning mages into tranquil in order to control them. They're literally putting tracker, like magical tracker chips in them so they can always hunt them down if they escape. Like these are things that they should realize are wrong Mm. at the same time if a mage goes out of control if a mage or let's not even like call it out of control let's say a mage has malicious intent how do you police that do you need a specialist that is not beholden to magic that Mm. can can act in a way as like an anti-magic force is that Mm. beneficial in some ways so I think there are interesting questions to explore in that space. And when I come out of this game, I always come out of it being like, yeah, okay, we need to destroy the circle. <laughs> like we need mm-hmm. to break the circle all over. But I try to give it I try to give it some leeway to make an argument to me during the game. Um right. to and that's kind of where I get frustrated over and over again is that we're about to be given what I think are, you know, it's we're once again doing the bioware thing of they present the cases to us you know we're going Mm -hmm. to see really the case for why supporting the templar might be a good idea because up to this point we've had a lot of reasons as to why we should support the mages especially Mm -hmm. if our sibling is a mage or especially if we are a mage like that's Mm -hmm. if you if you approach it from that direction in some way the player is conditioned from the outset to want to defend mages in some way either because they themselves are a mage or because their sibling is a mage and is in the gallows and is being threatened by meredith <laughs> so um i feel like with this quest they try to make a case for why the templars need to exist mm. and by making really the most g- comically yes villainous mages they can possibly think of speaking of comically villainous let's talk about hewan who mm. is an elf who uh, went to the alienage. We we find his wife, uh, Nisa, and we speak with her, and we can kind of... I, I find this part interesting. I kind of wish they just incorporated the cutscene because you have a special dialogue if you have Meryl with you where Meryl obviously knows Nisa. Nisa's like, stall is directly next to uh, Meryl's house. And so I almost wish there had been a scene where after you talk to her and she tells you that after the Templars came and talked to her, uh, Hewan showed up. It was basically like, I'm going to come back for you. Uh, we're going to escape together. We're going to, you know, fix everything. Uh, but Nisa does not want to go because she can tell that Hewan has changed. Hewan is not the man that she married. Hewan is different. So then you can kind of just go into Meryl's house to trigger like mm-hmm. a leaving the area and then come back at night for the low town night map so i kind of wish there had been like a cutscene here of like doing a stakeout in meryl's house i feel like that would have been a fun thing to do yeah. here because that's literally what i ended up doing but <laughs> um we return at night and hewan appears and kind of blood magic hypnotizes nisa and then stabs her and uses her blood as power to attack you and he says something about like I'm going to save my people and not too dissimilar from what Meryl is tempted with in act two, but um, 
he just kind of turns into a blood mage there and it's like hey guess what Hewn was a blood mage the whole time he's a bad guy and he mm. killed somebody because of it so maybe the templars aren't all that bad it's like <laughs> without reason i don't know like yeah like he just needed blood like he, he was just running low on blood so he's like i guess so i'll like, stab my wife <laughs> Yeah, truly. I mean, like we have, have can we own. have our first wife guy? <laughs> we, <laughs> we have blood magic wife guy. <laughs> mm. I had to wait eighteen minutes to get blood from my wife. <laughs> it's a deep Twitter joke for y'all out there. Um, really deep Twitter joke. Mm. Um, yeah, Ken, I don't like this part. It feels no. not well done. It just I, like, I don't un- we don't even understand like why he would even be compelled to do that. It's just if like like they you know they set up all these these mages like oh they're going to find their families and the people that they care about to maybe leave and it's like no they're going to find people that they care about the most just for blood sacrifices for no like for no real known end game like they just are like again it just feels like okay what is the most vile thing we can make a mage do. To give the player a reason to maybe fight with the Templars. Mm-hmm. Mm. And and this gets taken even further with Evelina, where we go and talk to some adoptive children of Evelina's, and we get like a lot more backstory for her than we got for Hewen, who mm. was just kind of like, yep, yeah, well, he was an elf, and he got taken away, and now he's back, he's doing blood magic. Um, with Evelina, we learn that she was a mage in the Ferelden Circle, who mm. escaped the circle when the Blight came through. Which I guess you could then posit that that might entail that she was. Would I mean would she have been part of when the circle, uh, like came crashing down, like with all the demons and stuff, like? But she would have had to escape from the Templars at that time too. So I don't I, mm. I don't know the logistics of that, but um, right. she escaped from the Ferelden Circle and came over from Ferelden to Kirkwall immediately turns herself in to the Kirkwall circle is basically like look hey I was fleeing the blight I was just trying to save my own life I'm here put me in the circle I want to be in the circle and immediately she's greeted with just being clad in chains and suspected of being a blood mage and an apostate because she ran from her circle and all that it's like okay, you're not really giving me reasons to trust the Templar right now because they have a really bad opportunity. Like, they cannot read the room and they're really Mm. overreacting to someone acting totally normal. (laughs) But we also learned that Evelina brought a bunch of children that she found as she was venturing to Kirkwall. Uh, We meet two Mm. of them, Walter and Cricket, who eventually lead us to Evelina. Um who then we find out is an abomination who's made a deal with the demon she goes off on this whole thing about like i wanted to save all the children and they just clad me in chains so now i'm going to become powerful and kill all the templars and then we'll just have space at kirkwall for all the children and like just total villain Mm. like escalation and stuff like that and and the the worst part is if you have anders here he makes a comment about like this isn't going to stop the templars are forcing our hands like this is the templars Mm. fault and the worst part is like to some level i'm like yes obviously this is the templars are forcing these mages to act 
irrationally and to do things that they would not normally do. That being said, I'm still not being sold on this being a rational turn for these characters and Mm -hmm. like any of this being a rational thing. Like it just feels like a series, like one comedic interlude and two completely irrational Mm -hmm. moments that feel designed just to make you go like, oh, well, that blood magic sure is bad. Like, mm. <sighs> Just I deprived of nuance. I was very, I don't know, unbioware, I guess. Like, they they normally do a better job of this shit. Like, I just, mm-hmm. I guess it just comes down to, like, we said, like, this, this whole section feels like they did not get to expand upon these ideas in the way they probably wanted to. Like, I think back to Act 2, and the the conflict that ultimately started the war between the Canari and the citizens of Kirkwall, where you had these elves that were living in the alien age mm. and their sister had been assaulted by a city guard and they couldn't get justice from the Templar or from the city guard. So they took it themselves and then fled to the Canari for asylum. And the Canari took them in because the Canari don't care. They just... They, you know, they want any reason to take people in, and they, frankly, the Airshock just wanted to fight, so he was more than happy to do it. Mm. The city guard didn't care. Aveline has this whole thing where you don't know whether she was aware of this or not, and so you don't know whether she is actually fixing the city guard or not, and you can almost sense the doubt in her voice when she says it, like, that's been a revelation for her. And, like, you have this really, in one dialogue, you have this really complex like Mm. interlocking series of conflicts that have been playing out across the entire city all meeting in a middle point that just flares up like a powder keg and erupts it's like that the way that all sparks feels very earned because we've been going through this we've been seeing the way that the elves are mistreated in the alienage for two games now we've been seeing how the Canari are growing increasingly frustrated, not just with the fact that they are stuck there, but the fact that they don't like the way that Kirkwall operates. They don't like the city. Um, We've seen the incompetence of the city guard. We've seen the incompetence of the Templar. Like really the only people involved in that, not involved in that story are the mages. (laughs) And Mm. like, that's such a perfect blend of all these conflicts that have been bubbling up for two acts coming together and said here i don't know this feels 101 this feels like Mm. oh well those darn blood mages it feels like they can't give me a compelling reason to want to support the templars and understand that the reason that most people would not want to support the templars not just beyond the fact that they use egregious methods but because they are coded to be this policing force Mm -hmm. and and right now we are like in our climate we all understand the dangers we are seeing the dangers around us of what a uh, an over militarized policing force looks like mm-hmm. so you're already fighting up a hill on that one which like maybe <laughs> this was just a losing battle anyway like maybe like yeah what is the scenario where we would have supported the templars at the end of this anyway like so let's get to a situation where i found a compelling templar character okay let's 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 okay. get to that all right um, I'm on, I'm so on we, let's go we end this we end this quest we move on to the next one which is with orsino across the hall right which i thought was really funny that orsino and meredith have offices there across the hall mm. from each other <laughs> um i'm not I'm sure that was both looking at the door 
yeah i know right like they're just doing this odd couple thing where they have a line <laughs> down the middle of the gallows um i would watch that i would watch that sitcom um best served cold is one, one quick thing though yes so you can apparently get this quest through meredith and i don't know how that works i've never had that happen like uh, I you have like, to side with the templars like at the very the, beginning the, is what the wiki is telling me. You have to side with the Templars at the beginning of Act 3. So when Meredith okay. and Orsino are okay. facing off, you have to side with the Templars. I see. I see. Okay. Um, otherwise, you get this from Orsino. But, I mean, really, all that it is is that um, you, you just learn that basically there's secret meetings happening in the middle of the night. And they're likely between Templars and mages. Um, that's really about it. And you kind of don't have much to go on here beyond, like, I need you to go see what this meeting is. And in Orsino's case, he wants you to go because he's kind of half convinced that this is all set up from Meredith to justify enacting the right of annulments. Um, which, as we remember, the right of annulment from Dragon Age Origins is where the Templars get to purge the circle. Um, so, basically... He's like, I'm trying to make sure that I don't accidentally cause the mass murder of every mage in Kirkwall. <sighs> um, when we go to the meeting point, we learn that there are mages and Templars meeting in secret. Dun, dun, dun. And we have to fight some of them because they all freak out because they're like all oh, the champions are here to spy on us and you know i'm kind of like i was walking in there like i'm not a snitch i just want to know what's going on like loop me in guys come on <laughs> um so then we have to pick a letter up off a dead body and go to another secret meeting point where we have to kill even more templars and mages uh because once again they freak out when they see the champion walk in at this point i'm wondering how you have to know how many of you i've killed at this point right like maybe you should just put the swords down and talk like i want us to <laughs> but um karen will be here mm -hmm. wonderful karen from old pal. from enemies among us uh who we saved from the blood mages in i will actually say a quest that i thought properly portrayed how you could maybe end up thinking that mm having some level of policing around specifically rogue blood mages causing problems in the city, how that might be a good thing. Um, maybe that still needs reform, but that quest I thought very specifically was like, Hey, look, these are blood mages who are trying to establish a new Tevinter order in Kirkwall. And they are doing it by mind controlling people and turning them into demons and stuff. Uh, this is something that needs addressing. <laughs> Uh, and in that case, I was like, cool, yeah, no, that's, that's, hey, this is what the Templars should be taking care of. This sounds like a job for them. Um, Karen basically tells you that uh, for some reason, someone close to Hawk has been kidnapped and taken to a hideout of this whole conspiracy on the Wounded Coast. At this point, we can either kill him, uh, <laughs> turn him into the Night Commander, uh, or just let him go yay mm. <laughs> let that dude go man he, he let us know about their whole plot like that's that's so considerate and also he's look when he sees you walk in the room he's like i did not sign up for this <laughs> y'all got it and also we know that turning him into the night commander is a bad idea so just let him go just be like look dude don't let me catch you messing around with this stuff anymore keep your nose clean kieran 
don't don't get into trouble so interesting thing about this this quest is that uh depending on who you are and the status of your sibling there can be multiple people taken here so for me bethany was kidnapped Mm. i'm assuming for you your love interest was kidnapped no it was carver actually it was carver Mm-hmm. oh okay so it will always be your sibling I-, I thought they had to take a mage the way that they framed it in my playthrough but no because they talk about how the templar were able to kidnap bethany so easily um i mean they make a similar thing because carver is a templar in my playthrough so oh okay that yeah, makes sense yeah. but it, like let's say your sibling is dead or is a grave warden or something then uh i believe it will be your love interest and if you don't have a love interest, it will be your highest rated uh, companion. So you could end up in that situation. Uh, which can end up in a very weird place, by the way, later on. But um, basically, um, we, we also kind of get the sense here and again later on that they are organizing because they disagree with Meredith. Um, they think that Meredith is a danger. And that's basically about all Karen gives you. But as you head down to the coast, first we run into Samson. Bet you forgot about... Even the game is like, oh, you probably forgot who this guy is, didn't you? Mm. (laughs) It gives you, like, multiple prompts to be like, hey, who are you again? Um, (laughs) Samson, the Red Lyrium addicted ex-Templar who is sneaking around and taking notes on this wounded coast hideout of conspirators because he's like, there's some shit going down here. It's bad. But also he's suddenly like, maybe Meredith's got some good ideas after all. Why? I don't know why I'm giving him a Southern accent. That's just how he is in my brain. It's like, maybe this here Meredith's got some good ideas after all. And you can be like, hey, Samson, that's kind of fucked up. <laughs> or, <laughs> or you can be like, I agree, Samson. Um, which obviously we are not. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I was just like, why, why the fuck is Samson here? What are you doing here, dude? Um, which is just going to be my repeated refrain throughout Dragon Age Inquisition. <laughs> was it necessarily, <laughs> was it really necessary to evolve Samson in this? Um but then we head down to the main group and we meet Thrask, who's still here. Remember Thrask? He was that dude that was the cool Templar in Act of Mercy. Um, the the Templar who wanted to help out the, the runaway mages. And we even run into more of the mages there. Grace and some others who are like, oh, hey, it's all y'all. I helped you all out. And Thrask is like, yeah, Hawk, after you... After I realized that you lied to save those mages, I was like, oh, Hawk's, Hawk's good. And I've he's literally like i've spent so many years just convincing everyone one by one slowly slowly to come around and realize that the mages and the circle can work together and that we don't need to be antagonizing each other and that meredith is the root poison of all this and if we can just get rid of meredith and install a viscount and change the way that the circle operates here i think we can all avoid a lot of senseless and needless violence and then the mage just up and kills him I dropped my mic <laughs> because I'm so frustrated. Ken, mm-hmm. what the fuck? <laughs> Which she seemed reasonable. 
like two acts ago. Like she R- seemed like a person that was like in chill this with us. mission. They're like, "Wow, you've really changed." And she's like, "Yep, I decided that actually I'm pissed." <laughs> like, <sighs> and and that and she's so immediately like, "No, kill the hostage anyway," and then kill the champion and kill everyone and kill Thrask and kill you, Elaine. Even though you are like trying to be a voice of reason, I'll try to kill you too. And it's like. Mm. Mm. I, I'm so frustrated here, Ken, because it literally just feels like they're trying to throw overly villainous mages at you over and over again mm. in some like Hail Mary attempt to make establishing more Templar control seem like a reasonable idea. Yeah. And I know, I know that Bioware likes to have choice. You can shoot Morden and kill Morden and not cure the Genophage and then kill Rex later if you want in Mass Effect. That is a possibility. That is a thing you can do if you choose to do it. That option feels totally unthinkable to me but maybe there's people out there who they were role-playing and that's that's the character they wanted to be um but at least in that case no not even in that case they didn't set up any good reasons to want to do that (laughs) unless you were really like no we need this we need this hilarian's help like that's more worth it than literally everything else in this game is getting the solarian's help um which you get anyways if you choose the good path but um that's not true i mean you get some solarian help yeah but you don't get all of it uh, you don't get get all of it but you get some and then you get all the help of the turians well yeah it's a net positive to go the good path I mean, you get. No, I mean, no, because like you'll still get less. Like whatever. This that was like three seasons ago. It's not true. You don't get more. You don't get the exact same amount of war effects if you do that. Throwing out there. Okay, anyway. Okay. Okay. But what I'm saying is, let's look at it from the reasoning standpoint. Like, do they give you a good reasoning to want to do that? I don't think they do, unless you're literally like, I want the numbers. Like, I mean, they give you. There's a scenario there where you think you can get away with it and get everything, and I think if you are a conniving piece of shit who wants okay. everything, then there is like a reasoning there, and it is okay. Solid. Okay, okay. All that being said, what I'm trying to illustrate is that the decision to back the Templars is looking more and more reasonable than that shit. <laughs> like, I, I just cannot. I feel like the level that they go to to make mages cartoonishly villainous just makes me want to defend the mages almost out of spite. <laughs> like, <laughs> like to just be like, no, not every mage is like this. Like, what are you talking about? Mm. Like, this is getting ridiculous. And the worst part was, like, I, I mentioned earlier, like, a good Templar thrask is a good templar thrask has great ideas thrask is like look i understand the system is broken and i've been making slow painful progress every day to fix it but i have also realized that we need to make a major change 
So I'm literally organizing a coup to get rid of Meredith so that way we can make that change and it overall improve the Templar for the better. And I'm working with the mages to do it. Like, Thrask is good, man. Thrask is solid. And they just kill him. <laughs> and they just kill him to make a point that mages can be bad. <laughs> and that's really where the rubber's meeting the road for me here is that i mean does it emphasize a point yes it does it clearly elevates what has just happened above the normal amount of what the fuck but on the flip side i'm just sitting here like is there nuance to any of this or is this all i'm going to get this act is here's cartoonishly villainous mages so that way we can feel there's some balance when we eventually get to the point where you're going to have to pick a side. They also don't, don't have know, to okay. use like an established character that was totally chill when we last saw them suddenly like yeah. have this weird heel turn and be like, nah, man, I actually wasn't okay with the thing that I said I was okay with. I feel like you there know. are other mages you could have potentially used here. I feel like there was that serial killer mage or his apprentice from Act 2 that could have been easily used here. Or if they were killed, you probably wouldn't have to reach far to find some other mages. What if that mage that ran away from Anders in his companion quest could show up here? Like, what if you had the ability... And this is something that Bioware like starts to do with Inquisition more, I think, is the idea of... I mean, there's one quest like in particular where it's like okay multiple different characters could show up for this big major decision depending on choices that you made in past games um like not for spoilers but it's basically like a gray warden character will show up as one of the characters on this quest but depending on choices you've made in the past it could be any number of gray warden characters and all of them have different ways that they tie back and might have different emotional ties for you as a character and all that being said like (laughs) that was really impressive like that's still impressive i'm really looking forward to talking about that episode because i really am looking forward to revisiting that mission see if it still impacts me the way it did back then but that was bioware going like hey let's think about how we can use past characters and the way that they've evolved in a way that can be significant and impactful and not just be like oh well we took an old character and now they're evil so Mm. that's it (laughs) and and then cullen shows up and good old cullen's like oh you silly mages i knew it you're out here getting up to hijinks and i I really love the way that cullen just does not talk about the templars involvement at all Mm. in this he does kind of talk about the rogue templars a little bit but it's really more like yep we should kill all these mages or you know like oh yep you know just gotta take them all back to the circle and execute them but um you know you can obviously say um you know don't don't hurt them be merciful um don't hurt elaine he's cool be merciful to all of them like and that's it we've we've mm-hmm. i mean at this point we could just go into the end game every case that needed to be, every case this game wanted to make it made 
Also, okay, let me just bring this up real quick before we move on to our last section here. Um, at, at this point, when Hawk returns to their estate, they will find a letter that leads into the last straw, which is the endgame. Once you have read this letter, not even once you like go and you have to do a specific trigger, but once you read the letter, which is something that you have to do for a lot of quests to start quests in this game. You, If you return to the gallows for any reason, <laughs> you will start the endgame. Now, I don't know if there are other side quests or anything that might take you to the gallows, or if the gallows are just explicitly always like you are going there for main quest in Act 3. I mean, that's really the only reason I've been to the gallows in this game so far. Um, but that kind of sucks. <laughs> I'm wondering, like, I'm thinking now, like, are there quests that I gotta do that I haven't... I have not read the letter yet, so I'm glad I, I read it just, just before that. I got on this call. Oh. Mm. Well. I've well, done then. majority of... I think the only ones I have left are Varric and Sebastian. See, I'm spending... I have a four-day weekend coming up because I have a comp day plus Friday off for, for the July and then obviously the weekend, so... Uh... I was going to spend the four-day weekend like just binging through the end of Dragon Age 2 and then probably starting Inquisition. Mm. Um, so, yeah. Good mm. luck with that, Ken. Um, we Hopefully do have one other quest. <laughs> we have one other quest we wanted to touch on real quick, uh, and that's King Alistair. You can have a little side quest meetup with uh, King Alistair in Kirkwall. He has come to uh, basically like make an appeal to Meredith to work with him. The as it as it kind of plays out as we are meant to understand, uh, he likes having a relationship with whoever is in charge of Kirkwall, so the Viscount, because that lets him kind of extend influence out into the free marches. And he's having some trouble talking to Meredith and getting some things going here. But really, this mission just kind of feels like, hey, guess what? Alistair's in town. Go talk to him. Mm -hmm. Which, okay, I get it. The king wants to meet the champion of Kirkwall. That makes sense to me. But also, this really just feels like they should have just written, like, hey, player who played Dragon Age Origins... <laughs> If you want to go talk to Alistair and have some fun conversations with your companions, just go do it. Like, mm. call it what it is. <laughs> I think it's... Okay, so, like, I think... I guess we actually haven't talked about him at all, because there are, like, distinct appearances that Alistair can make in this game, depending on what you did in Origins. Mm -hmm. And... Right, because he could have appeared in Act 2, right? Mm -hmm. As as yeah. a warden, like, during the uh, the revolt and yes. like where we met shroud alistair would be there in that scenario and um you know and that one's kind of what it was with shroud too could, it's like this could vague... Loghain be there as well i'm i'm actually not sure about that i feel like i would have distinctly remember that if that were the case mm -hmm. um but um like you know they kind of vaguely reference something that's not actually real because nothing that dragon age ever alludes to is ever real um and then there's also like the kind of very very sad version where if you ended up uh you know taking Loghain on uh, as a warden and you kind of like 
Alistair, like, gets pissy and he leaves the party. He ends up just being, like, a drunk that hangs out at the hangman for a long time. And, um, uh, I think at one point in this act, Tegan will go, like, find him and be like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take you back home. And, you know, no, I mean, it's, it's a very sad scene and it's a very sad sort of uh, way for that character to turn out. But, um, yeah. Yeah, but the only way I've ever seen it is this one, because this has always been the world state that I put through, is that Alistair's king, and... That I feel like it's way. most people's canon playthrough, because, mm. I mean, really the only other option you would have here, I feel like, for that, that people have gone for in their canon playthroughs is to be, like, the warden is the king, mm-hmm. if they are a human noble. Right. But, at the same time, like, that one always felt weird to me as well i guess it lets alistair keep being a gray warden which is kind of what he wants but yeah then you end up marrying anora which like mm. i mean is anyone out there like i'm going to romance anora like <laughs> um well, i think if, i think in that scenario you can also still like still have like liliana as like your or both liliana and zevran as like your sort of side piece that is uh-huh. yeah i forgot the word courtesan is that the word I've never heard that word before in my life. Mistress? <laughs> is well, that I mean, what we're looking for here? I didn't know what uh, the gender neutral one of mistress was because I was talking about Zevran, so I was like. I'm looking uh, at the word courtesan. Um, oh, it's not that. <laughs> that's, that's a different thing. Oh, <laughs> mm. uh, this is a fun podcast. Um, <laughs> Liaison? Is that the word you mean? They, no liaisons like i got somebody who's like i got a guy that's like when you say that phrase like i got a guy that's that's what a liaison is unless like you're having a liaison that's that maybe has some more connotations to it but if you're like oh this is my uh military liaison like that's just your contact you know that's just mm-hmm. your person whereas like if you're having a liaison you know what i'm saying you know what i'm saying mm-hmm a liaison with the fear factor supermodel. <laughs> oh god. On that <laughs> we, gotta, we gotta bring it full circle. Um so yeah, it, we basically just get a little cutscene with Meredith and, and and Alistair arguing with each other. And then depending on who's in your party and certain things that may have ported over from Origins, you get some various dialogues. I mean Aveline's is basically she's like, Hey, you know, I was at Ostagar uh and you know it's i i fought and it was terrible and you can kind of get an update on what's going on with Logan in that way uh really it's basically just like you know hey you killed him remember or hey you didn't kill him remember that uh anders is maybe my favorite one because alistair mentions like oh you look familiar were you a gray warden and and he's like were you and both of them are like that's the rumor (laughs) (laughs) it's it's kind of a a cute exchange i thought um that i just i was like hey look anders was not insufferable in this moment in time god his throughout this whole act so far so i feel like the party banter has really gone up and some of it's been very good like especially varick and merrill's is very good um and aveline and isabella's and aveline and merrill's um like all like those those characters like isabella merrill aveline varick the ones who i'm usually rolling around with all very good you know banter with each other but then when i have anders there like aveline will just be like you know anders i'm surprised that 
with all these mages that are kind of going down in blazes of glory lately that you weren't one of them. I always thought you would be. Um, and he's like, well, the day's still young. Mm. And uh, she replies like, I meant that as a compliment. And he's like, it wasn't. And I was just kind of like, there's like just silence afterwards. It's like, mm. okay. <laughs> um, anyways. Uh, and then if you had Isabella uh in this state in a certain state where you had had a threesome with the warden isabella and alistair they touch on that and and make a reference to it but that's really really about it um this is kind of like one of the last major origins tie-ins that we really have not counting the dlc i guess but uh we also got to run into um certain assassin at some point yeah yeah we have we have another one yet to come but um part of me likes this and part of me does just feel like this is more of the hey remember these choices you made in Mm -hmm. origins this and it's not even like let's see how they played out i mean this is seven years later i would have liked some level of hey here's how things in ferelden are going but you really don't get much of that here yeah. in fact the most you really get is alistair being like oh would you ever still call ferelden your home and you can kind of mm-hmm. make that choice internally if your own hawk that like no kirkwall is my home now or i would think about returning there one day yeah. but otherwise like we get surprisingly little like aftermath talk about how the blight has affected Ferelden and how Ferelden is rebuilding. And I mean, it's been seven years. I was kind of hoping for some of that. No. Hmm. I mean, honestly, now that I think about it, there's not a whole. And like, there are like non insignificant portions of Inquisition that take place in Ferelden. And I don't. I don't really feel like the game is ever. Like, the series has ever really reckoned with that that much. Because, like, yeah, Dragon Age 2 I... is, like, demonstrably detached from that. And then mm-hmm. Inquisition is not, but also by that point they are still trying to exist independently of a ga- the game that was never meant to be have a sequel in the first place. So, yeah, I, we've talked yeah. about that quote before on here that like Origins wasn't really ever started with the idea of making a series and uh, making a trilogy or anything in the way that Mass Effect was, but um, it you really feel it in these moments where they're just kind of like, yeah, things definitely happened then and part of me is like you know i respect that they want dragon age to kind of stand on its own with each entry and 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 that's kind of led to the situation i think where i want to say we were talking about it before after a podcast recently but the idea that everyone like the idea of your favorite dragon age is very polarizing because usually you tend to like just one a lot and then you dislike the other ones for being less like that Dragon Age that you like because of how radically different each entry is. But I, I don't know. It's I, I don't know how to feel about this. I mean, it is fan service, so I guess I shouldn't. Mm. I just it, it it leaves me with this weird feeling where I'm just kind of like, it's fan service, but it doesn't even feel like good fan service. It just feels mm. like fan service that exists to be like, hey, remember Alistair? Yeah, you yeah. made a choice about Alistair isn't it fun seeing alistair here like inquisition at least does better in this regard where when a character returns you actually get some dialogues with them and they might have dialogues with characters that they remember you get like some more there 
like I'm, I'm thinking specifically of characters like Morgan and Leliana and, and characters like that. Whereas mm. here it's like, uh, I don't know. Mm. Mm. <sighs> Meh. On that note, I mean, really, <laughs> like, we, we could start the end game. That's the other weird part here is like, I look back at the schedule for this, dragon age 2 and like the fact that we were already at the point where we could be doing an end game mm-hmm. like right here next week bizarre to me not just because i don't want to be done with dragon age 2 yet but also because i just can't believe this act goes by that fast yeah um to that end if you want to be hearing more of our wonderful podcast if you want to be uh just hearing more of our content in general you can head over to patreon.com slash where you can support our podcast help keep the lights on around here you know help us buy those expensive copies of jade empire that we're gonna have to buy to play jade empire uh because we have hit the goal where we will play jade empire after dragon age inquisition and if you want us to keep playing more games after that and recording more stuff after that uh you can head on over and support us over there get us to some of those higher tiers uh if you don't have those means right now that's all good just head over to twitter.com slash normandy fm show where you can follow all of our updates and our various uh posts out to spotify we're on spotify we're on podcast services follow us there uh and you can also ask us questions for the eventual q a episode that we are going to be doing at a time tbd next week we are talking about Fenris and Isabella we may have a guest we may not things have kind of gone up in the air around that so we're figuring that out as we go uh but we will be doing Fenris and Isabella's uh companion quests specifically which y'all know I'm thrilled about one of those and Ken is thrilled about the other so no matter what we're gonna bring the heat (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and then we'll be following up with Aveline and Varric and then Anders and Meryl, and then we're into the, the last straw. I mean, we've we've got a pretty clear like path cut for us that like by the end of July, we will be into Dragon Age Inquisition. We have one month left of this, Ken. One precious month left of Dragon Age 2. <sighs> Damn. Doesn't feel real. It doesn't. It doesn't. It's like so, somehow it went. It feels like it went by faster than Origins did. It went by incredibly fast. Like I keep thinking about how long Origins felt, and then how less comparatively long. I mean, we did do Awakening as well, so mm. that adds to it. You know, that was like a couple episodes versus you know one episode for Legacy, which is really all that Legacy needed, and we're not doing the other DLC for Dragon Age Two, but. We're going to be into Inquisition pretty soon. And, oh boy. That's, I'm that's a, for that game. I'm not going to lie. That's, that's a big one, and I'm really looking forward to picking it apart, actually, because the more we talk about stuff here in 2, the more I'm looking forward to talking about how it resolves in 2 and how it plays out in Inquisition. And then really, really just set up disappointment for Dragon Age 4. <laughs> <laughs> just really twist that knife deeper. <laughs> i can't wait to talk about trespasser that's the mm. one i'm really looking forward to ken i gotta be honest because f- folks listening at home might not know ken and i many a blue moon ago once did a spoiler cast about trespasser that was the first piece of bioware specific like spoiler whatever analysis talk that we have ever done together was a trespasser spoiler cast mm. 
and I have not listened to it since we recorded it, but uh, I might actually, once we have recorded the Trespasser spoiler talk here, I might go back and listen to it again and just kind of hear kind of how we felt then and how we feel now. And I, I, I have a feeling that my 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 takeaway will still be the same, but I will find new things to appreciate in it as I have with Dragon Age 2. Uh, you got that file? Because I don't, and... The place we I, used to work for has deleted the I, I think I still have that file somewhere. I'm going to verify it off podcast, but uh, I think I still have that file somewhere. For all of you at home, be sure you keep our files forever, because they are precious. They are golden. And we'll see you next time for even more files. We have watched and waited.